or I hope you have notes because we're going to uh, go through some scriptures today. And we uh, are Sermon 57 uh, in our series, series about Shadows of Golgotha, Pictures of the Cross in the Old Testament. We're going through um, all the Old Testament and we're finding all the pictures that talks about the cross of Christ. We're coming to an end. I think we have, after this one, after today, I think we're going to have three more. And then we're, we're going to be done with that, with Shadows of Golgotha. Next week, um, today we're going to finish Isaiah 53. Next week we're going to address some of the objections that... Jewish rabbis will have against uh, Isaiah 53 that it is messianic. So it's going to be a lot of fun next week. Uh, come prepared, drink coffee before you come. It's going to be a lot of fun. Amen. Um, we are at the very last three verses of Isaiah 53. We're going read it, to read it, and then we're just going to focus today on the very last verse, verse 12. That is where we stopped last week. So Isaiah 53, verse 10 to verse 12 um, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Verse 12, Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Amen. As we talked about this before, um, Isaiah 53, just like Psalm 22, has two major themes. Number one is the sufferings of the cross, the pains that the Messiah has went through, and then talks about the glories that follows the suffering that Jesus, the servant of the Lord here, has endured on the cross. Pretty much from chapter 52, verse 13, where we started uh, almost 14 weeks ago, we have been just talking about the suffering of the servant for the most part. And the last couple of weeks, then we, that's when we start talking about the glories, the rewards that the servant has received because he has endured the cross. In these three verses, this is what I'm summing up what we talked about for the last couple of weeks. In these three verses, we see, number one, the reason of the suffering. Number two, the nature of the suffering. And number three, the reward of the suffering. Let's see who remembers. What is the reason of the suffering? It pleased the Lord. It was God's will and God's pleasure that the, that the servant of the Lord will suffer as our substitute on the cross. That's the reason of the suffering. Number two, the nature of that suffering is twofold here. Number one, crushing him, grind him by grief and pain. And number two, he made himself a guilt offering. That's the nature of the suffering. And then we talked about the reward of the suffering, the, the, the glories that follows the cross. And we highlighted here many of the rewards that the servant of the Lord will receive. Number one, he will see his offspring. Number two, he will prolong his days. He will come to life after he's been cut off. Number three, the good pleasure of the Lord on his hand will shall prosper in his hand. 
Number four, as a result of the anguishes of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. That's number four. Number five, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify the many. That's the fifth uh, blessing, the fifth reward that he will receive because he will uh, bear their iniquities. And today we're going to stop at number six reward that the servant has received, which is, therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong. That's the sixth reward or the sixth blessing that the servant has received because he endured the cross as our substitute. So let's now just pause at that last verse and let's break it down a little bit and think about what the Holy Spirit is telling us here. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. Remember, therefore, that word links what's behind it with what's before it, right? It pretty much says that what is coming now is the result of what we just talked about. And what did Isaiah just talk about? He said that he will bear their iniquities, right? Because the servant was our substitute, our sin bearer on the cross. The result of that, therefore, he will receive a portion with the great and he will have the strong as his spoil as well. Now, the word I will allot is the exact same word that used right in the next phrase, I will divide or he will divide. It's the exact same Hebrew word in both, uh, in both phrases. And that word literally means divide by casting a lot. Um, we see examples of that in the book of Joshua, when Joshua was uh, dividing the land to the Israelites. And he will pretty much cast a lot to see which, which tribe will get what part of the land. And that's the exact same word here that is being used twice in verse 12, that the, 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 the servant will receive a reward that will provide it with him by casting a lot. It's more like, the idea here more like this, it's kind of like a prince who went to war, and he won that war, and because he won the war, now he's getting the reward, he's getting the spoil of that war to be his portion because he has won the victory. That's pretty much the, the idea, the point here that Isaiah is telling us, that the servant endured the cross, he went to the war on our behalf, and because he won that battle, now he's getting the reward, the great and the strong, to be his um, spoil. Generally, that portion right here, that phrase, therefore, I will divide him um, by lot among the many or among the great. This, this phrase is generally understood like this. I will divide him many as his portion. That's pretty much the, the point of what the Hebrew is trying to tell us, that the servant portion, his spoil, will not just be few, they will be multitude. Amen? That because of he endured so much on the cross, her reward will be so mighty that he will have multitudes as his reward. And that's pretty much the point how the Septuagint translated that verse in Greek before even Christ. You guys know what the Septuagint is by now, right? It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew before Christ. The Septuagint goes like this, Therefore he shall inherit many. That is the point of that phrase, that the spoil of the servant will be numerous, will be many, will be multitudes. This is good news. Amen? Amen. 
And that's for you and me. When you go out and try to share the gospel, remind yourself of this phrase. If you see resistance, always remind yourself. God has promised that the, that the servant will have the multitudes as his spoil because he has won the victory on the cross. Amen? Now look at this. I will allot him. I will divide him. I will give him many as his portion. Right? Who's I? Who's the speaker here? God, right? It's not Isaiah for sure. It's God. God says, I will give him many as his portion because he has endured the cross. And isn't that just a common theme, not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament? This just, when I was studying this, I was just so like, after, after I read it, I just was so happy to understand this, that God has given the believers, God has given the church to Christ as a reward because of the suffering of the cross. God has given you and me as Christ's reward to him because he has endured the cross. That's what Isaiah is telling us, right? I don't know about you. When, I, when that concept clicked in my mind, I was just so like honored. I felt like, man, I, I, I mean something. Not in an arrogant way, but in, like, in, in a humbled way that... I am so valuable in God's eyes, so much so that he thought I'm a good enough gift to give to his son, Jesus. Isn't that just awesome? And we see that throughout the New Testament. This is not just a one-time instance that we see in the book of Isaiah. In, in the book of John 6, verse 37, this is what Jesus said. All that the Father does what? Gives it me. That's you and me has been given to the Son by the Father. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes me, I will by no means cast him out. John 10, 29, very famous scripture. My Father who's giving them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. What did the Father do? He has given them to me, Jesus said. Even in his intercessory prayer, he said that in John 17, verse 3 times, and verse 6, verse 9, and verse 11, Jesus said the same thing, that we are given to him by the Father. He said this, I have manifested your name to the men whom, what? Who you have given me out of this world. They were yours, you gave them to me. This is just so good, isn't it? <laughs> they were yours, you gave them to me, and, um, and they have kept your word. And then he says, right in verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those, again, what is their description? Whom you have given me, for they also yours. And then verse 11, now I am no longer in this world, but these are but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those, again, whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. And finally, here in Hebrews 2.13, this is what the Messiah is saying. We're going to look into the book of Hebrews in a few weeks. Here is what Jesus said. Here I am and the children whom the Lord did what? Has given me. And that's actually a quote from Isaiah 8, 8 that Jesus or the author of Hebrews applied to Christ in the New Testament in Hebrews 2.13. Think about this. 
We are, you and me, are given to Christ by the Father. And we understand from Isaiah that the very reason why we were given to him is that we were given to Jesus as a reward because he has endured the cross for you and me. Amen? Amen. This is just awesome. We are the gift that Jesus has received because he endured the cross. This is just so powerful. Now let's move to the second phrase after that. And it says, and he will divide the booty with the strong. Now, this is just a hard phrase. No matter how you cut it, no matter how you look at it, no matter how you try to understand it, it's just difficult to try really to understand what Isaiah is trying to tell us here. Now, who is that strong? He said that he will divide the booty with the strong. Who is the word strong referring to? There's one of two options. It can either be referring to the servant's enemies, right? And that is Satan and all his forces that Jesus will have a portion from the spoil. Like the whole world is in Satan's hand and Jesus will take some out of that world to be his. Therefore, he will take divide a portion with the strong. That's the first way of understanding this phrase. The second way of understanding this phrase is that the strong is actually a reference to the actual spoil that the servant will receive. That is to say that the spoil that the servant will receive will be numerous and they will be also strong and mighty. You guys follow me? That's the two ways of understanding that phrase. Either way, it's just difficult. That's just the bottom line. Now, if we go with the first option, that the word strong here is a reference to Satan and all his forces, that Jesus will end up dividing the human race with them as spoils. This is just, I don't believe it's true. I don't believe that's what Isaiah is trying to tell us here. I believe this is the, the, the weaker argument for that phrase. Why? Because we don't see that anywhere else in the scripture. Amen? Usually, if you have a vague scripture and you're trying to understand it, you have to link it to something else that is a whole lot clearer, and together they will make sense. Don't build theology based on a vague scripture that has no support anywhere else in the Bible. Amen? So there is no other reference whatsoever in the scripture that we see that Jesus and Satan are co-equal who are fighting for the soul of the human race, right? There's just nothing like that in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. Jesus is the creator. Satan is just the created being. Jesus is giving Satan some permission to do some work, but at the end of the day, Jesus is the one who made Satan, right? They're not co-equal forces fighting for the human race race. Amen? Jesus is just far more superior than that. So the first idea that the strong here is a reference to um, Satan and that Jesus and Satan are battling for the human race is just unsupported. Um, unsupported. The only thing that I can think of is in the New Testament when Jesus talked about himself and he talked about Satan, how when the strong man keeps his goods intact in the house, but then the stronger one comes, bind the strong one and plunder his goods. So that might be the why some people might think that the word strong here refers to Satan because in the New Testament, when Jesus said that story, you guys follow me? The strong man keep his goods. The strong man here is a reference to Satan. However, these two scriptures are remotely connected. I don't see how we can put them together. Not to mention, again, it's really hard to imagine that Isaiah is telling us here that Jesus and Satan are co-equal powers trying to... Um, spoil the human race or try to divide the human race. Amen? 
So although it is really difficult to understand the most probable meaning of what Isaiah is trying to tell us here is that the, the, the spoil that the servant will receive are both many, which we just read, and they're also mighty and strong. And there is some support in the text to that meaning. If you remember, when we started 14 weeks ago discussing Isaiah 53, the very introduction of that song says this, that the servant, that's Isaiah 52 verse 13, that's verse 15, way, way back. It talks like this about the servant. He, he shall prosper, he will be lifted up, and then it says, thus he will sprinkle many nations, kings will shut their mouth on his account. You guys follow me? That's Isaiah 52, 15. And in a way, we can say that there is some parallel between the very end of Isaiah 52 and the very end of Isaiah 53. Amen? So in Isaiah 52 says that the servant will cleanse, will sprinkle many nations. Remember, highlight the word many here, numerous. Amen? Many nations. And not only that, but Kings, that's mighty, right? You guys follow me? Will shut their mouth on his account. You guys follow me? So in Isaiah 52, as God is prophesying about the servant that his victory will claim both the numerous and the mighty. That's probably what Isaiah is telling us here at the very end of, of chapter 53 as well. That the offspring, the seed, the, the reward that the servant will receive will be both numerous and both mighty. Numerous and mighty. So the parallel here can support that meaning that the strong here is actually more of a reference to the spoil the description of the spoil, the reward that the servant will receive rather than the enemies that the servant is fighting with. You guys lost yet with me? Okay, move forward. All right. So this is the sixth reward that the servant, that the servant will receive. He will, God will divide him a portion or many as his inheritance and he will divide the booty with the strong or his booty will be among the the strong, or his booty will describe as the strong. Now, why he will do all that? Why he will, will be rewarded that much? Here it is. Because he poured out himself to death. And the word poured out here, it probably implies that the servant literally didn't keep anything back. He really laid it all down through his death as our substitute on the cross. Amen? And that's literally what happened to Jesus. He just was like, he was drained to the very last drop of his blood. What, what we read about him before is that he will be crushed. He will be grinded to find powder under the judgment and the wrath of God. It's just a description that tells you that the servant really didn't reserve a single ounce of power. But everything in him was absolutely exhausted on the cross to be our substitute to redeem us from the power of sin. Amen? Same idea, the same word poured out. We see it playing many times in the New Testament. Paul used it to refer to himself, how he has been utterly wasted to impact and build the kingdom of God. Philippians 2.17, but even if I am being what? Poured out as a drink offering upon, upon the sacrifices and the service of your faith. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. I am being poured out. That's what Paul said. Like, I'm just being utterly wasted. Nothing is being held back. Everything is on the line. 
2 Timothy 4, 6. For I am, this is Paul, at the very end of his life before he just about to be, uh, about to die and go to be with Jesus. He said, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Being poured out, again, the idea here is nothing is being held back. Everything is being wasted. Everything is being on the front line. So the servant was being poured out for the sake of many. And not only that, but he also was numbered among the transgressors. Now, Jesus applied that very phrase to himself right before he went to the cross. In Luke 22, 37, this is what Jesus said, telling his disciples, For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in the, where? Me. Me. And what is, it, what is it that was written that is being fulfilled in Jesus? And he was numbered with the transgressors. Where is he getting that from? Isaiah 53 verse 12. And Jesus is saying that phrase was not written about a random servant. It was not written about Israel. It was written about me. And it will be fulfilled in me. For that which refers again to me has its fulfillment. And when we, we see the actual, physical, literal fulfillment of that phrase, when Jesus was crucified and there was a, a thief, a road robber on one of his hands, and another thief, a road robber on the other hand, and Jesus was numbered with the transgressors in his death. Amen? Yeah. Yet he himself bore the sin of many. This is, again, pretty much the theme throughout Isaiah 53, and even before that, in Isaiah 52, when we started, that the servant will be our substitute. Amen? We just read about him last week. If you flip back with me, and we read verse 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. Why? As he will bear their iniquities. He's the same bearer. It's the exact same phrase. is being repeated again here in, in, in verse 12. That the servant is going to be our substitute and he's going to bear our sins on himself on the cross. This is all over Isaiah 53. Remember Isaiah 53, 6? All we like sheep have gone astray, each to his own ways. And what happened? And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He's our sin bearer. Now, Peter quoted that exact same phrase, yet he himself will bore the sins of many. Peter quoted that exact phrase and applied it directly to Christ in 1 Peter 2.24. It says this, he's encouraging servants to endure persecution and he's reminding them of Christ as our example. And then it talks about Christ. He said, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wound you were also healed. And that last phrase is also a quote from Isaiah 53, verse 4. We talked about that, right? So Peter takes that phrase, applies it directly to Christ, and he said that he bore our sins where? On his in his body on the cross. You guys follow me? Yeah. 
And the last part in Isaiah 53 is this. And he interceded for the transgressors. Again, I think this is my heart also to understand precisely what Isaiah is telling us here. Obviously, Jesus intercedes for, like, people when he prayed in, in, in John chapter 17. The whole chapter is just an intercessory prayers, right? And he interceded when he was on the cross for the sinners, the, the thief that was next to him who was blaspheming, and the people who were surrounding him. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, right? And in the book of Hebrews, we're going to read about Jesus when we start in the book of Hebrews, that he is our high priest who's making continual intercessions before, before God on our behalf. And through these intercessions, we can be saved, right? So Jesus is definitely our great high priest intercessor. He did it. He's doing it. And he's going to keep doing it. But the idea here, though, I believe like it's more like beyond just intercessory prayer, beyond just saying the intercessory prayer on behalf of the lost. It's more like he interceded between the transgressors and their punishment. Jesus put himself in the middle between the transgressors and their punishment, and he cut that line between those who transgressed and the punishment that they received. Amen? That is the whole concept of Isaiah 53, that the servant died as our substitute. He took the punishment upon himself, and because he took the punishment, now those who have sinned and deserve that punishment now can go free, right? And that's what Isaiah has been telling us, even in the immediate context of Isaiah um, 53, verse 12 here. We just read that he bore our sins. He was counted, numbered with the transgressors. He, he, he's our substitute. And that might be what Isaiah is trying to tell us here. That Jesus, the servant, interceded, not between transgressors and the Father in his prayer, but rather between transgressors and their punishment by becoming their substitute and taking that very punishment on himself on the cross. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Amen. I enjoyed Isaiah 53. We have 14 weeks so far in it. We're going to close it up next week. I hope you enjoyed it too. Amen? Let's close our eyes before the Lord and pray.